0: Justin Hahnemann
1: thanks for listening, thanks to tuning, thanks for downloading thanks for subscribing and following Justin Hahnemann on the contender cast for shining a light on bright ideas today we're in the food space I can't even wait I just had a chance to get to know the CEO of Keto Crisp my can do Matt Clifford you're gonna love him he's amazing like he, he asked me more good questions than I've been asked in a long time uh Matt it's so great to have you on the podcast pleasure to be
2: here Justin thank you
1: so much for uh for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't even wait. Um, excited about your brand and what you guys are doing. Um, I want to hear your story and like your leadership path and like what you've, what you've found and in, um, in growing in this space. I think it's really unique and, and just very top of mind right now in the food industry. So uh, before we get to product, how about Matt, share a little bit about your background and how you got into this industry. I think our, our audience will really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know i think being in cpg for me was a happy accident for sure um I, I my undergrad was in finance and i was convinced i was going to be an investment banker um and i graduated at the best time you could uh graduate college which is in 2008 and <laughs> perfect uh, timing is, <laughs> compared to now Grant right lehman brothers <laughs> collapsed like three months before m- m- we were graduating and uh, I didn't really go to, a, I would say, a top tier school either. And so I think a finance degree from a mediocre school um, wasn't really that valuable in the marketplace <laughs> <laughs> at that time. Right. I, for those uh, that don't remember
1: 2008, you know, there's a lot of market issues, unlike today's job market. But yes.
2: <laughs> you know, it is a, it's a tangent, but I was talking to some colleagues, and you can look in hindsight now, and actually, it was a great time because we had the most incredible bull market from, you know, 2009 to, to pretty much now. Totally. So really to be in your like early twenties and it looked scary, but yeah, I think that it's always easier in hindsight, but I was confused and young and had no clue what I was going to do. And, um, I, I was a, an athlete in, in undergrad and I, I met my, uh, which was my business partner in our first business, which was called, uh, Barnana. And he was also a professional triathlete. And uh, he, his name is Coway. He's from Brazil, and he always would snack on these um, dehydrated bananas. Right. And he would get them from Brazil right. when he would go there. And he, it was Coway's idea, and he wanted to bring these kind of banana snacks uh, from Brazil. And you know, know nothing about the food industry. And this is kind of like how all you know entrepreneurs start to pull on a thread. Right. My reaction is. That's a stupid idea. <laughs> that was my. You mean, when
1: you heard the idea about the banana, right? Yeah. It's so interesting though. It yeah. organic, Cal, yeah. right? I'm reading reading about it, natural and organic food, right? this is the whole space you were in,
2: right? Yeah, I mean I you know I had no background in that space and at the time I was working in software uh, uh, in finance, finally found a a job in finance and software whoever would hire um, but would just train and we would work out and he would always be eating these banana snacks. Um, Yum. and you know, Yum. you know, if you go on a long enough bike ride, you're either exhausted enough or somebody's convincing enough to think that this is a good idea, but he kept just talking about it and talking about it. And I don't know if you've had friends that start businesses, but <laughs> I feel like a lot of it is just <laughs> poking and prodding and, you know, And you know, you just want to poke as many holes into it, and then at some point, somebody's either exhausted, and they're just like, "Okay, just do it," and then somebody's either convinced they shouldn't do it. But I obviously was not convincing him enough that he shouldn't do it (laughs) because he kept at it. And um, pretty cool. the the, the premise of that business, so that business is called Barnana. It's around today, right? Dehydrated
1: Um, banana snacks, right? That's what I in my homework, right? Which sounds amazing. I mean, I like that's that's right. It sounds really good. What? So where did that go?
2: Yeah. So that business we started in 2011. Um, and the, the premise of that, you know, Cowie had this great snack he wanted to bring from Brazil. Um, and we were really inspired by, uh, brands that were kind of bringing emerging market economy products to the States. So like brands that inspired us were Vitacoco, um, I would say Samazon, um, and, you know, these were brands that we felt did a really good job at introducing American consumers to products that were really popular in their home country. Um, So both coconuts and acai. And so we had this kind of, I wouldn't say not so earth shattering idea, which is, you know, you really have and Chiquita playing in the banana space in the US, but nobody's really built that equivalent of like Vitacoco or Palm Wonderful or Samazon for like snacks for bananas. Right. So that was kind of like the aha moment outside of just importing this product that was popular in Brazil. Um, where we got really lucky in that business was as we started kind of addressing how we bring the snack from Brazil and process it. And, you know, the rabbit hole is quite deep when you start a business right. is, um, we, we, we really stumbled on this idea of food waste. And this was probably a year in where, uh, you know, being at banana farms and realizing how much of the the production is wasted on, on bananas. And it, it turned out that banana is the most wasted produce item in the world. So. Can I ask uh, you, so, so for our listeners yeah. that
1: aren't experts on, I love, this is a great topic. Our, our listeners that aren't experts on the banana industry, and, and we've never, I told you how many episodes we've done, right? We've never had this topic. So like, what about it is wasted? Just share with our audience, educate them a little bit on
2: that process. Yeah. So food waste, it's great now because it's becoming, I think, more prescient and understood from the American consumer um it's broken out in the two main buckets so there's there's consumption waste which we're all guilty of which is in our kitchen and our homes and and then there's production waste this is oversimplifying it and that is waste that's farm waste right so um every crop has different uh tactics and methods in which they harvest their their crop and uh there's uh, a percentage of production waste and there's a percentage of consumption waste sure. so bananas unfortunately are terrible on both sides of that Um, And the reason that there's terrible production waste on bananas is because the U.S. consumer likes, unfortunately, really aesthetically pleasing fruit. And so that's why we have waxed apples and pears and oranges at the grocery store. And so you don't wax bananas, but bananas have a pretty (laughs) um, astute scale in which you're graded. They're graded. And so if a banana is too long or too short, or if it doesn't have, if it has a, a nick in it it doesn't qualify to be sold in like Safeway or Kroger or Publix. Got it. So all those bananas would be left at the farms when they're harvesting and them. And yet they're so good. And, they're consumable, um, right? They're just no, they're happen fine, to not have some fine. part to them. Yeah. And so, and, and those, yeah, I would say like large farms have a pretty good avenue for them. It turns into like banana puree or baby food. Um, but if you just look at the sheer volume of bananas that are consumed in the U.S., the the amount of the secondary which is baby food or puree never matched right and still to this day doesn't match wow. um and so the happy accidents was just uncovering that there's always bananas being wasted we don't care what it looks like and we will use those wasted bananas and we term you know in 2012 we called this upcycling yeah and nobody knew what the hell we were doing so funny we said upcycling for like five years and re- nobody cared about it no retailer you know batted an eye and I'm just so happy today that it's a thing. It really
1: is. We've had a number of founders on with their product around upcycling. Amazing. Great topic. Yeah. So you guys dive into yeah. that, um, fast forwarding a bit. Um, and and here you are. So uh, where did where's the company now? Why don't we finish that out and then let's get to um, Keto Crisp?
2: Yeah. The the Barnana brand uh, is like I, I always call it like my my first child and it's my true love because you know, spent nine years of my life. We we built that in two you know, just to reiterate, two amazing partners on that business, Nick Ingersoll and Coway Suplicy. and they they're still they're still running that brand day to day, and you know, doing an amazing job. And the the, the brand is probably in like fifteen to sixteen thousand retailers in the in the U.S. and we're in Japan, Australia, and Canada, and um, you know, doing doing really well. I'm really proud of what kind of teams built there. And if you look at the portfolio too you know, started with just just like really basic banana bite and we have chips we have salty snacks we have tortilla chips we have a lot of different products wow. in in multiple classes of trade from Costco to you know 711 to Whole Foods and Sprouts so unbelievable um, i mean those aren't small brands to be to be in those retailers right i
1: mean it's amazing
2: Yeah. And I think that this is the beauty of the natural foods industry. And you've had a lot of entrepreneurs on is that it really is, I would say an industry that people help. Like it's not, I've never really felt that there wasn't a, an olive branch available at many stages of the journey and entrepreneurs in this space, I think just want to win. And I think the net part of that is probably because we're all doing a net good for the consumer, right? Like, you know, like the rising tide rise all boats. I feel that very much so in this industry. And I agree. And a lot of people helped, helped us grow through this industry too. And so in 2018, uh, I guess it was it was pandemic. So 2020, it was it was January, February, 2020, right before the pandemic. I had our second baby, my wife and I, and we were wanting to move back to San Diego is where I'm from. And, you know, kind of just had this kind of moment that we needed to change. And um, the plan was to take some time off and uh, take a break for a bit and that lasted uh, a month, uh, <laughs> right. <to my> <laughs> a whole month. <laughs> I love it. It was supposed to be longer than that. Um, and then, <laughs> and uh, I met this amazing, and I met this amazing individual, his name's Adam Bremen. And um, he was uh, about, about six months into starting uh, Keto Crisp, which is uh, the brand is called Can Do. And, and Adam has a cerebral palsy and uh, he's like this larger in life character. And, He's lost uh like 90 pounds in an electric wheelchair following this kind of low carb, low sugar keto diet. And uh they had this great product. They were like early, just a region of Whole Foods. And, you know, I think so much in this space is about just the right product at the right time with the right person. And we just hit it off, great energy. And uh I joined there as CEO. And um, I guess that would be like, may of 2020 so two months into the pandemic very very cool yeah i've had a couple of founders on from san diego i'll have to
1: make sure you get you're connected with them after our interview today but um such a cool story um for those that don't know keto crisp uh their pillars are great taste clean quality ingredients premium fuel wellness and innovation which is very cool and then i love this like they talk about what like why they win and like what why they're doing well great taste low sugar low carb and then optimal protein um some really cool flavors and really great packaging i have to say um you know you see a lot of, of brands out there. yours. I, I love the packaging. So when you came in, um what did
2: the business look like? What was it kind of day one? And then we'll talk about progression of where yeah. you are now, yeah, and I'm happy I'm happy to be as transparent as possible. I mean, you know, so day one a regional whole foods so pack <laughs> um, which is a which is a great region by right. the way. and um and, you know, the brand was in the we were in in stores probably four months before the pandemic hit. Um, and, you know, I, I always do this exercise for like I go to a grocery store or, you know, Whole Foods and you walk the, the on the store and you ask yourself, does the world need another protein bar? <laughs> right. Or does the world need? Obviously, yes.
1: <laughs> I think this this category, though, is so much growing right now. I mean, there's a real opportunity. I mean, it's I,
2: I, and I'm sure you're finding that right. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, right? I mean, so the brand was around for about five months, five or six months before the pandemic, you know, got some really good out of the gate traction and then COVID hit and the nutrition bar category declined by 25% um, during COVID. Nobody was on the go, right? Nobody was kind of needed uh, (laughs) on the go snack. And oddly enough for, for, for us, you know, we were so young and so early. I don't think we had, we didn't see the impact from that because we were just getting out into distribution and we had such an amazing data story. We were the number one selling bar in whole foods, Southern California out of all bars. So we outsold RX bar, cliff bar, kind bar, name your bar. We outsold them, which is really impressive. Obviously it's less impressive because it's only one region of whole foods, but we had this amazing story. And how did, if I'm um, Whole Foods though, I go, we want to try that in other geos, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, we, we built this, you know, this strategy that we took this great data from Whole Foods and um, this, this kind of, we we elevated the brand to Can Do, which is really based off of Adam's story about what you can do, not what you can't do. And we built this platform, which is the thesis in its still today is, It's about low sugar, low carb foods. Um, And you you can call that keto today, but we we have just a, a strong conviction that the consumer is looking for to cut out sugar in their diet across multiple categories. And it can't hurt to cut out carbs while you're doing that. And so we've built a whole platform, which is can do around low carb, low sugar, and we got, you know, I think the right time, right place, right product, and you know, uh, a good product for sure. And we grew really, really rapidly through COVID. Got so it. when I joined the company, was doing three hundred k one regional <laughs> Whole Foods, and uh, we're you know, two years in, we'll be north of fifteen million. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, that's two years. Did you guys just hear that? Yeah. Let's just make sure we heard not three hundred thousand dollars in sales. Now we're at $15 in two years. Um, That's pretty amazing. And shout out to Adam Brennan, by the way. He uh, is not here. He's uh, obviously the story behind the the product. And um, what I thought was really cool when I was researching even him was that he was looking at ways to go above and beyond, find ways to live an active, healthy lifestyle. Um, I mean, this is guys. You know, when you have an idea and you bring it to life in a, in a segment where others are craving the story and the and this kind of product, it just look. This is what can happen. Um, pretty incredible. What was the team like when you joined, and what was product like? like did you have the all the
2: flavors then, or did yeah. you have all the team then? Talk about both of those if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Team, there, there's three people when when I joined, um, and and you know to this day, the three people is Adam. Uh, Mary Delgado, who's our head of operations and she's just incredible. Um, and, uh, Nick, Nick Martinez, who heads up our marketing, um, and both of them to this day still head up those roles and just really talented people. And then we just built the team out from there. The product was three SKUs. Um, we had chocolate mint, chocolate raspberry, and almond butter. And kind of fast forward today, we're, um, we 16 people and eight SKUs. Wow. So, so five we've times been busy.
1: Or two or three times times, people.
2: Yeah. We've been busy on the skew front. Um, and, you know, trying to keep the head count really, really lean. Yep. Um, you know, these businesses, there's two major expenses. It's the prop, the cost of your product and the cost of your people. And so, yeah, you know, I tend to have a thesis of, I like to have people do you know, give people a lot of work and hire great people. So it's always hard because people get really burnt out. So it's balancing that. Sure, But I, I tend to have a, I go slow on hiring personally. personally. That's fair.
1: Uh, Talk about route to market. Uh, You mentioned starting off, you know, one, basically geography, and even within that geography, a segment of Whole Foods stores. Um, Talk about retail versus e-commerce. You guys have an incredible, I said this earlier, and um, I mean, incredible Amazon store as well, like a store front, like a store within the store,
2: Like, but talk about your different routes to market. Yeah. You know, this is such a great Conversation because it's changing so rapidly. I feel like the last two years in CPG, you know, you could write a book around what's happened and it's evolving as we as we speak in right faster now. ways than um, ever ever, by the way. For those that
1: have been in the industry,
2: it's like yeah. two or three years, like more has happened than like
1: 20 years. So
2: yeah. Yeah. And it and it's it, you could see this all fall off the cliff for now, and a lot of just native D2C brands with the cost of performance marketing increasing and those get brands getting crushed. So it's it's really weird. Um so we i come from a retail background i don't have i've learned d2c sure. but i've spent 14 years in, in retail and so by virtue of just strength and experience we 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 were dedicated to being a, a retail a retail brand um but we knew at the same time that it's an omni channel experience right so you know i think staffing these companies where you say truly you know omni it's difficult because the marketing team for retail and the marketing team for performance D2C is just way different. The makeup, the content creation, the performance marketing. I think we've done a decent job at that. Um, but our brand is about 65% retail, um, 30, uh, you know, 35, 40% percent um, d 2 sure. uh, com, Pretty good mix. Amazon being a big part of that for us. We have a really deep Amazon strategy and a great Amazon team. Uh, but, you know, I think like the, the scaling these consumer brands are really expensive, too, as you had a lot of founders on here. And I think the way that it, you make it a little bit more affordable is just be really, really focused on going to the retailers that have the most productive velocity. Right. And how do you know yeah, that? Okay. How, how
1: do you know that? Because do you just inherently know that from your background and experience or do you work with like, do you lean into the network, reach out to others that have done it already? You know, like, t- talk about how you think yeah. about that.
2: It's a great question because like when we were starting Barnana, I didn't know. Um, and after eight years of operating that brand, you can just look at the data and you know where you sell, right? Obviously, it's a different category. It's not bars; it's chips and and dehydrated snacks. But you know, I think the intuition is is mostly right, right? You can walk into a Whole Foods and you can see how busy it is, and you can walk into a Sprouts and you can see how busy it is, and you can also walk into like um you know, a grocers outlet, right? Um, so I think that intuition is not always correct, and then it's just looking at the data, and the data is there whether you have experience or not. But the, the CPG industry is actually has too much data, but it doesn't have enough great. It doesn't have enough manipulation and construction of the data to make sense of it. Totally, um,
1: is that up to? Is it the, is the challenge there that you have to make sense of it? You being the brand versus having you know some of the bigger companies that are out there that are in the food space. It's just really expensive.
2: It's really, so there's a barrier to entry for young brands because the, it's expensive to play there in the big data providers, whether it's spins or IRI or Nielsen, there's just a price to pay that I think early brands can't afford. And then when they, when you're into those portals or those platforms, um, they give you the data, but their way of interpreting it is very basic. And it takes, I think a little, another investment to interpret that data with like price promotion, elasticity and volume and what's like, what's your right price point at what point in the journey. And those are important questions because, you know, you get that wrong early on. You could it, it has an exponential ramifications in the future. No doubt.
1: And it's hard. I mean, cause you got three people, but you don't have, it's this is not
2: yeah you know, you know Kellogg or
1: General Mills that have an analytics team that's doing shopper marketing and bringing in the Nielsen IQ and yeah. IRI data or one or the other and making sense of it and then sharing that with the brand team and telling them what to put on the shelf and then t- telling the retailer right I mean
2: you got three people so it's not so simple yeah you know the, the thing about that though which I've always had this this dualism in CPG which I think is great is. I think big CPG has changed a lot and they're going to continue to change. And I have a lot of good things to say about big CPG. I have a lot of terrible things to say about big CPG and I've worked with a lot of them. Um, I just couldn't imagine trying to steer a ship that's as big as some of these companies. And so I get it, why they stink and what they do, right? It's just bureaucracy, ladder climbing. And so they're never going to be ahead of a three person team. They're never going to be ahead of a five person team. And this is the nature of why innovation happens, right? Cause it, it's just, it's not going to work. I think the,
1: <laughs> it, <laughs> I love it. I think there is an opportunity now more than ever for up-and-coming food and beverage brands to be the innovation for many of the bigger brands out there because you're more nimble, you you know, are able to prove out market faster, you're able to innovate faster. I mean, like, it, there's a lot of things like what you're doing that, you know, are ripe for the, in these big companies to to innovate. And by the way, many of them are focused on like supply chain logistics and distribution, like that stuff right now versus true right. innovation.
2: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, I mean, you look at like a company like Frito-Lay, like Frito-Lay is a distribution company, right. That has, that has great products, but, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a, a story in the halls of Frito-Lay that they, when they launched the cool, or like the cool ranch Dorito or some version of it, They got it to 95% of US households in two weeks. And that is the most amazing stat. It it tells you how beautiful that distribution system is. But the problem is that so big and so efficient when they think about innovating, they need to spend a lot of time making sure it's 100% right. Because if you can go to 95% of the US households in two weeks, the cost of that mistake is really big. So they have the beauty of scale, but they have the fear of it going wrong where you know, when you're a three-person team, you want to put in one regional Whole Foods. Yeah, it's not a big... Right. If it goes wrong, it's not a huge deal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, talk
1: about what the next 6 to 12 months look like from a growth perspective. What are your priorities? How are you thinking about that?
2: Yeah, you know, our team gets, you know, kind of probably sick of hearing it from me, but we're a mile deep and not a mile wide brand. Um, what does that I, mean What I to mean by you, that yeah. is yep. we like what to... For us, it, it's just focusing on retailers that we know are willing to invest behind us and we will invest in spades behind them. And it goes, it goes both ways. Right. And so, you know, for us, it's finding the retailers that we have that relationship with, that's an open dialogue that have the velocities that are proven at the, at their, cons- at their customer side. And we just really, really invest, um, you know, trade spends North of 30% in those retailers because it pays off where I would say like the industry target trade spends probably like a 15 to 17%. You know, we like to find the retailers that want to go deep and big. And that's just how you build consumer awareness. So we have a handful of retailers that we just, we're all in, all in on, and we're going to continue to be all in on. And that just builds that, I think, consumer demand, that brand awareness and that velocity. Sure.
1: well wow, I love that. Um, I love to ask leaders uh, some of their biggest lessons learned. We have many uh, brand leaders, especially new brand leaders that listen to our podcast. And as I shared with you before we hit record, one of their favorite parts of these episodes is hearing from you. You know like some of your biggest lessons learned things that you've experienced that you'd share with others to be watching out for uh, what would you share with
2: them as far as like two or three items on your list yeah i mean you probably hear this a ton but it's always more expensive than you think <laughs> right it's like <laughs> right i don't think i've come into a scenario where that wow that was like that wasn't as expensive as i thought it was it's always going to be more um You know, I've been a big believer, at least in starting the CPG brands that I've been a part of is that, you know, be focused in the beginning because it's overwhelming. You can sell you these products anywhere. A grocery store, a C-store, you know, you can go to a coffee shop and just like be laser focused on doing one thing really, really well from a retail point of view. And, you know, I think in addition to that, I would say like, do one thing well, but understand what the next play is, right? What is this going to lead me to like when we were like, Hey, we know we wanted to sell really well in whole foods, Southern California, because that's going to allow us to sell in whole foods nationwide. Right. And so like having these kind of like bite sized approach to scale, I think where it gets really tough is when you just go everywhere, right? And then you're just inundated with issues. I can totally
1: see that. Yeah, and I don't think everyone thinks about that, right? I mean, in terms of scale. I mean,
2: the adage is you've probably heard, it's easy to get in the store, it's hard to get out of the store, right? So selling into the store is where I think early entrepreneurs celebrate, I got in, right? I'm like Whole Foods or Sprouts or, right. you know, Publix accepted me. And, and, and then you start to, your stomach starts to think of like, okay. And <laughs> there's if so I don't much sell to that, that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, for those listening that aren't in this space, I mean, just some of, oh, let's list off a couple of the big challenges, right? So great. We got a PO. Um, do you have product? Can you deliver that product? How, are you, how much is it going to cost to get your product to the, Retailers DC in the format that they want. They may not like the way you pack it in your boxes. You may have to do it their own. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get into Costco, you have to go into special packaging that fits their store shelves, right? To the floor. Um, let's see. Product is in the store on the shelf. Hallelujah. Nobody is buying it. Never yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> what else? You, you throw out some others yeah. that I'm missing.
2: Well, I mean, you just missed the whole the whole important part which is the distribution oh, side yeah. of business. Oh yeah, sorry if about you're that. Not in or, <laughs> you know, you're selling to a distributor and that distributor is reselling to a retailer. Oh, right. And and you don't get paid, you know, I remember this our first PO in Barnana, it was like $25,000 and I was so over the moon. <laughs> and I didn't, we didn't get paid. Actually, I don't think we got any of that money. I think I, I called them like, well, your first PO, we pay you in net 90 because we want to make sure it sells. Right. And I was like, well, okay, that's bad news. Yeah, right. And then like after 90 days, I was like counting on the days and when I'm going to get paid. And I think they wrote us a check for like $4,000. Oh. Like, well, the rest <laughs> right. is the fees associated with whatever we right. do. And
1: Oh, wait, your, your product arrived like, okay. a day late. So that's this fee. You didn't put it in the right format. This fee. You didn't label it correctly. Well, that's fee, this fee, right? That's I mean, right. all those things. Yeah. Nobody thinks about that. Yeah my god it's
2: fee 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 it's called it's called fiefdom fiefdom Feed them.
1: <laughs> <Feed them>. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a whole episode on that and that would be so fun um
2: by the oh, way Jeff, did you hear that the whole, i mean it's a totally off topic but bmw wants to start charging a subscription for heated seats in their car wait, did you hear about
1: this um no but i'm very curious
2: oh yeah because like, so, like
1: you turn on right? your heated seat and it costs you something
2: Oh no! You have to pay BMW to be able to enable to be able to turn why, on. Why? Why though? It's already built into my car. Let's say I don't have a, a BMW, but I'm just saying, like it would be. Yeah, yeah. I think that that BMW's like internal strategy is well. If Tesla and Apple have these subscription businesses, why can't we? You know, we need to be and Sirius, like X, Sirius XM. Right, you got to have your radio and turned on. Right, right. Which is, it's just fat. It, it remind we just the fee word reminded me of this, like the airlines, right? It's totally, like, this doesn't
1: work. Doesn't work. It is interesting, though. So many companies are trying to have a subscription model where they, you know, the recurring revenue. Yeah. They can say, oh, even yeah. if people aren't buying as many cars, we've got a like, recurring revenue stream. Because um, you got to update the software regularly in your car, right? That's, That's so great. interesting. Um, Man, we could go everywhere today. This is, awesome. this is so great. Um, meanwhile, like your PR person, Taylor, is sitting here going, okay, we're almost at 30 minutes. <laughs> well,
2: it's your show. It's You're, you you show. make the call here. And, you know, the consumer could be fatigued already. <laughs> the so consumer we just a listener.
1: Hilarious, man. All right. Let's wrap it up. Share with our li- listeners
2: where they can find you, buy product, connect with you, et cetera. Yeah. On the on the can do front, the, the product's called Keto Crisp and um, we're available nationwide. So, uh, you know, Whole Foods, Sprouts, uh, Costco, Walmart, kind of uh, we're trying to tackle most places, people shop. We're not everywhere yet. So give us some patience there. And if you're just, you know, don't want to go into a grocery store, obviously Amazon and our website, which is tastecando.com. Um, on the Barnana front, very similar, all the same retailers. Um, and that's, uh, barnana.com for that. Um, yeah, we'd love any feedback, any feedback from the consumers. You know, I, yeah, you know, I think that the most thing I think about in these businesses is that we literally do care about every single review and piece of feedback. Like the most important thing we do is read our Amazon reviews because you know, the scariest thing about these businesses is you go from making, you know, a hundred thousand products to millions of products and there's just no way at scale to make sure that it's all going to be perfect. Right. And there's going to be errors. It's just the nature of just producing so things true. at scale. So and true. We just spend so much time and like, i would say a lot of anxiety around just making sure the consumer is having a great experience
1: and i love that um and the dark almond dark chocolate almond sea salt looks amazing um so cool we just launched <laughs> yeah, that was like two days ago <laughs> i love it and cool packaging like the black and white thing is really cool with the blue on top uh docom so great having you with us and i'm so excited for you guys and where you are headed um I mean, gosh, so much upside. you got some great stories and you got to come back on that. It's been so fun having you here with us today and really appreciate you making the time. And um, we can't wait to see where your brand goes, man. Thanks so much
2: for taking time to be with us. I appreciate it, Justin. Thank you so much.
0: The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands.